You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we might as well take a look at the L.A. Chargers. we got to get started sometime, and no better time than right this moment. I didn't say the present. I mean, I did then, but I didn't the other time, so i got to keep you people on your toes. Yeah, I said you people. I'll say it again, too. The L.A. Chargers are a 4-5 and five football team under the uh, all-powerful Brandon Staley. And I can tell you right now that this is going to be a win. And if you're wanting, I mean, we can just, we're going to end this in about another 45 seconds, okay? Real simple. Here's how I know it's going to be a win. Let me go through their games. Loss, loss, win, win, loss, loss, win, win, loss, fill in the blank. All right? Well, you guys have a great rest of your night. Have a good one. Bye-bye. No, just kidding. But seriously, though. Two losses, two wins, two losses, two wins, one loss, boom. Granted, their losses came to Miami, Dallas, Kansas City, Detroit, and then an overtime loss to Tennessee. They beat the Vikings, the Raiders, the Bears, and the Jets. So um, they lost to the the good teams and beat the bad teams. But I'm going to stick with that first thing. I think the first thing is where we should keep our main focus. Quality of opponent is sort of secondary to repeating patterns in the universe. But I do think looking at this, um, one of the negatives that stands out is their offensive production. They are seventh in overall points scored. They did have a little bit of a rough patch against Dallas and Kansas City, so only scoring 17. But aside from that, it was 34 against Miami, 24 against Tennessee, 28 against Minnesota, 24 against the Raiders. And then the last three weeks have been 30 against the Bears, 27 against the Jets, and 38 against the Lions. They did lose to the Lions, but still 38 points is a lot. In fact, they also lost when they scored 34 against Miami. The biggest issue for them, obviously, has been their defense. And one of the things I haven't done this year, but we're going to do right now, is um, over the years I've looked at when does a team win and when do they lose? Sort of, you know, what what is the bar that a team generally has to get over? And the defense has set a pretty high bar. They are 3-2 and two when they get to 27 or more points. They are 1-3 and three when they don't get to 27 points. First of all, 3-2 and two when you get to 27 is a bunch of crap. You get to 27, you should have a much better record than 3-2. and two. The Packers certainly would. In fact, the only loss that they would have would be to the Detroit Lions scoring 34 points. And they scored 38 against the Lions and lost. So the defense has been a massive letdown. On the flip side, again, generally these are at least around the same number, if not the exact same number. But um, when a team gets to 27 points, they are undefeated against the Chargers. Now that's going to be a tough ask for the Packers offense. But just to be clear, Teams are 4-0 when they get to 27 points. They are also, however, again, this goes to show how bad of a general football team this is, they are 5-1 when they get to 20 points. Three of their wins came against the Raiders, who scored 17, the Bears, who scored 13, and the Jets, who scored 6. The only time the Chargers won when a team got to 20 points was against the Vikings, who scored 24. Um, looking at some other correlations here, not surprisingly, offensively, there's almost nothing um, because the offense hasn't really been the key to their team. It's the defense. When the defense holds a team to under 300 total yards, they're 3-0. and 
when a team gets to th- at least 300 yards, five, uh, one and five is what the Chargers are. Passing yards. Um, when they're able to keep a team under 225, they're three and one. Over 225, one and four. And then rushing yards, over 76 yards of rushing against the Chargers. Teams are three and one. Via DVOA, though, the uh, Chargers are listed at 13th, which makes sense. They've faced a lot of difficult teams, and they've lost to those teams. So they're not a good football team, but they generally beat up on bad teams. Their overall DVOA is a 7.1%, so 7% better than your average team. Uh, The Packers are negative 10.6, just so we're clear on the difference. The Packers are listed as the 22nd overall team. Their offense is ranked um, 8th. 13.4%. 13.4%. Packers offense, 18th, negative 2.1%, which again is actually not bad. I expected a pretty big jump from the Packers actually after doing what they did to the Steelers, and that's pretty much what did happen. I mean, 18th isn't great, but we're pretty close to average at this point. Defensive rank, though, uh, the Chargers, 8.9%. Remember, positive is negative when you're talking defense. They rank 27th. Packers defense, 5.4%. They rank 23rd. So, I mean, that's kind of the story of the Chargers. They have a pretty solid offense, a really bad defense. To put it into further perspective here, the the offensive ranks go 49ers, Dolphins, Bills, Lions, Ravens, Chiefs, Eagles, Chargers. After that, it's Houston, Dallas, Seattle. So that's kind of, we're kind of sandwiched in between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans when it comes to offense, which should be somewhat frightening. And again, you know how I feel generally about our defense. I think that they can rise to the occasion against a bad offense. I don't think they're the kind of defense, at least right now, that's going to rise to any sort of occasion against a good offense. I don't really expect a really good performance. I don't 100% know what that means at this point, but I will try to come up with sort of a baseline of my expectations for the offense and defense, and we'll see where we go from there. But um, uh, as for the injury report, it looks like most of the Chargers are back in action. I don't know their official game status yet, but uh, the only guy I'm seeing uh, that is still not practicing is tight end Gerald Everett. So they are getting much, much healthier. But that's also true of the Green Bay Packers, who look like have the potential to get just about everybody back. I'm not positive about Rudy Ford. I mean, I'm not positive about any of them, but uh, things are looking up for Jair, Kenny, Elton, Aaron Jones, even Quay is kind of looking up. So fingers crossed on that. Before we delve into their specific roster, um, I wanted to look at our playoff probability leverage. I've been looking at this most weeks. We kind of stopped once things went to the negative, but what are the Packers' playoff odds? If the Packers win, their odds of getting to the playoffs jump up to about 25%, which is still relatively low, but it's, it's still a thing. If they lose, it drops to 13%, so not out of it yet, but it is getting really, really close. Now, obviously, the biggest issue with a loss isn't necessarily the fact that it's a loss and we dropped to 13%, but if you look at the upcoming games, Packers may as well be eliminated because if they lose to the Chargers, then they have to face the Lions in Detroit and then have the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, there's a very good chance if they lose, they're not going to see a win over the next three weeks. And by the time we see the Giants and the Bucks and the Panthers and the Vikings and the Bears, it might not even matter. So for the sake of staying alive, it's a pretty important game. But I'll tell you what, why don't we take our first quick break, we'll come back, uh, a couple things I want to touch on, and then we'll dive into their, um, their roster a little bit more. Take a break, we'll be right back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So before we uh, get into it, a couple things. Number one, congratulations to Brian Balaga, who has officially announced his retirement from the NFL. Fantastic. And I always felt somewhat underrated, underappreciated uh, Green Bay Packer. I think everybody knew he was good. I just don't think it was understood quite how good he was. And I understand he was inconsistent, and there were some injury issues, and we had David Bakhtiari on the other side, along with a bunch of other really, really, really good offensive linemen, so he kind of got overshadowed a little bit. But, I mean, if he was on our offensive line right now, he would be far and away the best offensive lineman that we had. Um, So, very, very good football player, and uh, definitely hope that someday we can get another just like him. The other thing I figured I'd talk about, which is all the rage right now, I I can't scroll for 30 seconds on uh, Twitter without seeing reference to it. I just did it again. I was like, I wonder how long it'll take me if I just start scrolling, and here we go. Fox's Carissa Thompson reveals that she makes up sideline reports during NFL games sometimes. When a coach wouldn't come out to talk to her at halftime or when it was too late and she didn't want to screw up the real report. So I find this to be weird, mostly because, again, we're doing the whole team sport thing. I'm seeing a lot of people on social media come out and defend Carissa Thompson because I I feel like some people worry that there will be an overreaction or a backlash to a protected group. And one of those in this instance is, is women in sports. And so rather than just looking at Carissa Thompson as a person who has a job and did a thing, we have to look at it as 
this group of women in sports, which by the way, every woman in sports that I've seen has come out and said that they're very upset with what Carissa Thompson has done. Now, I don't like the fact that they come out and say it set us back as women in sports. No, it didn't. It's not a reflection on you. You didn't do anything wrong. Stop pretending as though Carissa Thompson doing something wrong has set you back as a quote-unquote woman, 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 woman in sports. I'm sorry that you get pigeonholed, and I'm sorry that other people, including people in your own profession, pigeonhole you. But can we just stop? Who gives a crap? But instead of just having an honest conversation, we got so many people coming out, you know, defending it like it's not a big deal simply because, God forbid, this opens up the door to attacking something that we've been trying to defend for such a long time. And it's such a waste of absolute frickin' energy. This is, this is stupid, what she did. There is no defending it. The fact of the matter is, everybody, I mean, it's, it's sort of like officiating. Everybody hates officiating. Nobody likes it. And we're getting to the point that nobody really likes listening to the announcers anymore, the broadcasters. Nobody likes it. Now, maybe I've missed it, but I, I haven't really noticed anybody dislikes the sideline reporter. Yes, there's some chauvinistic comments once in a while by some rando Jim Bob 42579, who's probably a 14-year-old trying to cause problems, trying to be uh, edgy. But honestly, the, the sideline report is one of the few things that feels like real information. So for me personally, I couldn't give a crap. It didn't even dawn on me that, that this was like a female versus male thing when I heard it. It was just my first honest reaction was another reason to not give a crap about any of these announcers and what they say. This is obviously bad for the NFL. You don't think it's going to be bad when people listen to sideline reports now and start making cracks about how fake it is? It's already happening. Everybody hates the officiating. Everybody constantly mocks the broadcasters and everything that they say because nobody likes what they have to say. And now we've got the sideline reporters who are trying to give us updates on what's going on, and we can't believe what they say. I don't give a crap if it's a man or a woman in sports. This is damaging to the brand. This is inside information that we can't trust anymore. Now, I doubt that this is going to happen anymore as a result of this, but especially Carissa Thompson. You're going to seriously put her back out there and have her come out and say, here's what the coach told me. Really? This is obviously a negative. Now, the, the magnitude of how negative it is could be debated, but pretending this is no big deal is insane. Could you imagine if Tom Silverstein did a, uh, a, a, an article based on an interview that he did with Matt LaFleur behind the scenes and turns out the interview never took place? Do you understand how big of a deal that would be? How massively negative that would be for Tom Silverstein? And for the news media in general, not just the male news media in general, but the news media in general, period, there would be a serious distrust there because you trust the fact that when you give me information and you tell me that you got this directly from the head coach or directly from a player, I don't have to have my guard up. I just assume you're telling the truth because why would you lie about that? But again, we got the circle of the wagons thing. It's a woman in sports. so We have to defend her. Pretend that it's no big deal, which fine. If it's no big deal, then her job is irrelevant. Just so you're clear on that. If, if the entire point of her job is irrelevant because nobody cares, then she should be fired and there shouldn't be sideline reporters. I think you're doing more damage than anybody else by saying, who gives a crap? It's not a big deal. Her entire job then is irrelevant and should be eradicated. I think her job is relevant and I think it should be taken seriously. And whoever does it should do it with integrity because if it's not, then their jobs are at risk. So pretending it's not a big deal is not defending anything. It's making the strongest possible case for her not having a job or any of the sideline reporters to not have a job. So if you want to keep arguing, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about the sideline report. 
go ahead. See how much that helps the women in sports when they no longer have jobs. Or we can just stop playing team sports. We can stop infusing our ideologies and every single thing that happens and just look at it and say, a person did a bad thing. Doesn't matter that she's a woman. Doesn't matter that she's pretty. None of that matters. She did something. She shouldn't have done it. And there are negative ramifications for that. I'm not saying there should be negative ramifications toward her. I'm saying the negative ramifications have already taken place. Trust in the media as a whole is already relatively low, but I don't think anybody had their sights set on sideline reporters. But now we can't even trust somebody when they come on camera and say, the coach told me? Because I'll be honest, I never thought anybody would have the frickin' gall to flat-out lie on national television about what a coach said, because he can very easily turn around and say, I didn't say that. And so again, the, the idea that, oh, we're, well, I know how I'll defend her, I'll say everybody does it. Okay, good, then get rid of all of them. Get rid of them. If they're all just lying and pretending to have some kind of a story for us, make them go away. We don't need them. Why do I need somebody on the sideline if they're just going to make up reports? If they're as irrelevant as you say they are, they shouldn't exist. So are they irrelevant or are they very important pieces and this job should be taken very seriously and these allegations should be taken seriously? You can only have it one of those two ways. You cannot have it both ways. They are critical, vital pieces of the NFL, but also who gives a crap if they do their job well or if they just make stuff up. Those two things cannot go together. Very sorry to tell you. So you go ahead and figure out how you want to handle that. But again, I just I just view this as the NFL continues to put forward a crap sandwich. I think all the NFL programming is garbage. I think the reporting is, I shouldn't say the reporting in general, because there are some very good people in the media that do very good work. But the the broadcasting, I think, has gone downhill, and I would never have said this in the 90s. I just wouldn't. And and it's it's somewhat maybe even unfair because I'm sure there are some very good broadcasters. But but again, what, what has the NFL done to make themselves sort of a revered entity as opposed to being just kind of a joke? Nobody respects the broadcasters. You think I would ever say a bad word about John Madden and Al Michaels? Never in my life. I mean, it, it's the NFL's responsibility to be a revered entity. And that's why this matters. If you want to just treat this like it's a joke, fine, then you can continue to be a joke. Your sport is a joke. Your refs are a joke. Your broadcasters are a joke. Your sideline reporters are a joke. Your rules are a joke. Your rule enforcement is is a joke. The CEO of the NFL, or whatever his official title is, he's a joke. The owners are largely jokes, and they're crooks, and they're criminals. I mean, this is the image of the NFL. And again, it's just this burning thing that's just spiraling out of control that deserves no respect. And we only hang out here because we're obsessed with the, with our teams. We're hooked. But, but the NFL as, as an entity has just become a joke. And I genuinely think it's because we are continuing to try to reach out to the non-core demographics, whatever they may be. Reach out to the people that don't want football. I would love to get back to like an NFL films kind of thing, to just talk about the grit and the, you know, not, not the freaking drama. I want to get back to wanting to watch a Bengals and Ravens game because these are two entities that freaking hate each other like actually hate each other because it's that serious. But we can't anymore because you can't look at somebody the wrong way without being thrown out of the game. You can't say bad words. You can't celebrate the wrong way. Everything about the NFL is going wrong. And this is another instance of that. And we can say it's minor, but I just think it's a part of a larger picture. I think sideline reporting is one of the things that nobody has ever even considered attacking. It's never come up, in my opinion. I've never had anybody call in and say the sideline reporting sucked. Again, aside from some randos who are like, you shouldn't have women doing so, they're just there because they're pretty. 
Yeah, I don't know, maybe. Who gives a crap? Qualified and pretty. Gee, that sucks. You want to make a freaking issue out of it? But nobody, nobody has ever had a legitimate complaint about the work that they do. Because all they have to do is give us inside information from the sideline. And now that's going to be brought into question. And it probably shouldn't be, because now that this is blown up, it's never going to happen again. But it's never, that's the thing, you can't, you can't put the ketchup back in the bottle. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube or whatever the thing is. You can't do it. It's out now. It's tarnished. We can't unsee it. We can't unremember it. And that's the real problem with this. And that's the reason, by the way, all of the sideline reporters are coming out against what happened. They're not defending her because they understand the gravity and how serious this is. Michelle Tafoya, honestly, this makes me sad. Carissa is a nice person, but this is professional fraud. If a coach won't talk to you at halftime, say that. And if there's no report, you just don't file a report at halftime. People are like, well, you have to say something. No, you don't. It's pretty simple. She says, journalistic integrity is paramount. Period. End of story. Tracy Wolfson, this is absolutely not okay. Not the norm and upsetting on so many levels. I take my job very seriously. I hold myself accountable for all I say. I build trust with the coaches and never make something up. I know my fellow reporters do the same. Molly McGrath, young reporters, this is not normal or ethical. Coaches and players trust us with sensitive information. If they know that you're dishonest and don't take your role seriously, you've lost all trust and credibility. And again, that's not just with coaches. By the way, there's probably a reason a lot of coaches won't talk to her anymore if she has a reputation for making stuff up. But this is bigger than the coaches now, because now it's not just coaches who know which ones to talk to and which ones not to. It's a fan base that will refuse to listen to them or take their job seriously anymore. So people like Molly McGrath or anybody else that is current or former um, sideline reporter. Anyways, them's my thoughts. I do hope that this just kind of blows over and it's just kind of a, you know, ho-hum. We all forget. She says, my bad. It happened like one time and we get back to how things used to be. But I mean, you already, I mean, I'm already seeing the joke. I guarantee you Sunday is going to be nonstop joking about sideline reports, which is funny, but again, it's the thing behind the joking that's kind of the issue. All right. Um, is there anything else relevant to talk about? I know there were a lot of injuries on Thursday night. I actually had a heart attack because I saw somebody had said that um, I, I, I just woke up and saw Joe Burrow's thumb may get amputated on his on his uh, throwing hand, and I had a heart attack. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Turns out it was just a Carissa Thompson joke. But let's dig into the Chargers, who are basically, this. it feels like it's the same team that has always been. Maybe some imp- improvements on the defense slightly, but uh, Justin Herbert has a 78 PFF grade right now, which ranks 14th. That's a little lower than you would generally expect, but I think it's about what you're always getting from Herbert. He's He's a good quarterback. Uh, Herbert just had his best game last week against Detroit, 83.6 overall, 82.1 passing grade, um, 2,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, just five interceptions, although he has 16 big-time throws and 13 turnover-worthy plays. I don't know what a—I got to work a little more to see what a good ratio is between turnover-worthy plays and turnover, but I feel like that's low. 13 pickable passes and only five of them ended up getting turnover. So there should be opportunities. In fact, every game since week two, there have been at least one turnover-worthy play in every single game. So there's very likely going to be at least an opportunity. So we got to be ready for that. As far as the receivers, I mean, it's it's the same crew that has been there for a while. You got Keenan Allen, um, who is still just playing at a high level. I can't believe, first of all, he's not even 32 years old yet. He's 31 and a half years old. I feel like he's been in the league since I was six. <laughs> He was a uh, 2013 third-round pick, so you know he'd never be a Packer. Uh, their number two wide receiver, Mike Williams, is not with the team. 
he was placed on IR. In fact, uh, Mike Williams, they've got a cornerback by the name of Uzo Dinma, tackle Andrew Trainer, pass rusher Chris Rumpf, wide receiver Josh Palmer, and safety Raheem Lane are all on IR. But that is a pretty big blow because Keenan Allen is their, you know, truly elite wide receiver. Mike Williams is at decent number two. So without him, uh, their number two was Josh Palmer, again, IR. After that is running back Austin Eckler. After that is tight end Gerald Everett. And then after that, as far as target percentage, is rookie Quentin Johnston. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's ideal that they went out and got him, but he has been struggling this year for sure. First round pick, 22nd selection overall. Um, he has had one good game as far as his PFF grade is concerned. Against Chicago, he had a 74.7 receiving grade. He had 50 yards in that game. That is his best game. Six targets, five receptions, 50 yards. His second best game was this past week. Four targets, four receptions, 34 yards, and a touchdown. That was his only um, touchdown of the season and his only other game in which he had more than uh, 20 receiving yards. So it's been 9, 7, 10, 18, 0, 20, 50, 14, 34. Um, He has been getting a slightly increased role. He jumped up to 30 snaps in week eight. That jumped to 36 in week nine and then 39 in week 10. So he is getting an increased role, but he just hasn't been able to put it together. 60.7 receiving grade, 0.8 yards per route run, which is really quite bad. Contested catch rate is 33%. He's caught three of nine. He doesn't have any drops, which is obviously solid, but has a 79.6 passer rating when targeted. So, I mean, again, they are way down. You got, again, Keenan is number one. Their number two is on IR. Their number three is on IR. So rookie Quentin Johnson has stepped in, trying to fill in for Mike Williams, is not doing a very good job. Then you've got uh, Darius Davis, who is stepping in as the slot receiver. He has a 67.4 receiving grade. He has 10 receptions for 45 yards and no touchdowns. His average depth of target is negative 2.5 yards. So it's all behind the line of scrimmage stuff. He's 5'8", 165. He does have 4.36 speed, so watch out for that. The most yardage he's gotten in a game is 16 yards against the Raiders, but there, there's just not much going on. Again, it's Keenan Allen, then it's Austin Eckler as the actual number two receiver, 22 uh, receptions for 249 yards and a touchdown, which is not actually that much. Then tight end Gerald Everett, 21 receptions, 167 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, Keenan Allen is like the entire offense. He really is. I mean, he has 900 yards and six touchdowns. The next you know, non-running back would be tight end Everett with 167. And the next wide receiver is 162 and a touchdown. Then at running back, um, kind of a similar situation to what the Packers have. Austin Eckler was always kind of an interesting comp to Aaron Jones, somewhat of a smaller guy, 5'10", 200 pounds. He's an undrafted free agent. Uh, It was the same year, I believe. It was a very, very good running back class that year. Um, but he has been a fantastic running back ever since 70, 80, 80, 70, 70, 80. This year, 62 grade. So similar age, similar everything to Aaron Jones, and they're both struggling this year. Uh, he also was dealing with injuries. He went out after week one, didn't come back until week six. His grades have been 58, 60, 56, 48, and 66 since week one when he had his one good game. I don't know if it's the injuries that are bothering him or what, but it's been, again, very, very similar, probably slightly worse than the Aaron Jones situation. Very, very talented running back that is just not producing right now. He also has three drops this year. They all three came in one game, but, you know, three drops. He's got a fumble, 
and so far only put together 332 yards, 3.6 yards per attempt, and four touchdowns, which is just not generally what you get. And so just to be clear, last year he had an 80 PFF grade, 82.6 rushing grade, 950 yards, 15 touchdowns. He had 44 missed tackles forced. So far, halfway through the season, he has 12. And again, he was injured, but still, it's just it's just not there. After that, they have running back Joshua Kelly. He was a fourth-round pick back in 2020 out of um, UCLA. He has never really been a very good running back. He's been getting slightly better over the last two years. He went from a running rate in the 40s to almost in the 60s. But aside from his two games where he graded in the 70s, he's just been subpar. Now, he does a 4.3 yards per attempt, so he has been running the ball a little bit better um, than Austin Eckler, but it largely came on the back of two games. One game, he had 10.7 yards per attempt, one at uh, six, I guess it was another one, week one, 5.7, but it's just, it's not been going well. And part of that is on the back of their offensive line because they don't have a very good offensive line. From left to right, just as far as their overall grades, Slater, 74, Left guard, Johnson, 57. Center, Will Clapp, 51. Right guard, Salyer, 61. Right tackle, Pipkins, 59. Those are their overall grades. At left tackle, Rashawn Slater, who was a uh, fairly high pick, if I'm not mistaken. He was uh, number 13 overall in 2021. Um, He does have an 83 pass blocking grade, but a 59 run blocking grade. Sounds like the Packers missed out on one there. But that is a really big step back. He's usually a very good run blocker, but just not this year at all. And he is definitely their best offensive lineman. Zion Johnson, also, I actually really liked Zion Johnson. He was a first-round pick out of Boston College uh, 2022. Swing and a miss by me. He had a 53 pass blocking grade last year, a 57 this year. He's given up three sacks, six hits, 12 hurries, 21 total pressures this year at left guard. He also has a 57 run blocking grade, so he's not really doing anything very well right now. At center, uh, they had Corey Lindsley. Right now, they have Will Clapp. I believe Win- Lindsley is still injured. I see he was put on IR with a ho- heart issue and wasn't expected to miss the season. Said he would miss four games, but that was a long time ago. So, uh, again, center is Will Clapp. Will Clapp has never been a good football player. He has a 49 pass blocking grade and a 50 run blocking grade. Um, actually, hasn't given up any sacks which I guess all things considered is pretty impressive. But um, yeah, 12 pressures this year, 49 pass blocking grade. That includes a 25 pass blocking grade against Kansas City and a 37 against Dallas. At right guard, Jamari Salyer, uh, 61 pass blocking, 58 run blocking. Uh, He was a sixth round pick in 2022. They did a lot of work in 2022. And then at right tackle, Trey Pipkins has a 61 pass blocking and a 53 run blocking grade. Uh, 2019 third round pick. So um, as far as guys that are good, the only good grade is the pass blocking grade of their left tackle, um, Rashawn Slater. That's it. Everything else at best is average. So clearly that's hurting their ability to run the ball. But I feel like I've said this before and we just haven't been able to generate much. Now, I'm, I'm again, my theory was that Certainly two weeks ago, the Packers emphasized stopping the run. I kind of feel like last week they tried to do the same thing. It just didn't work. And I'm hoping we kind of get back to the old Joe Barry. I know people aren't going to want to hear me say that, but let's just work on get to the quarterback, get to the quarterback, get to the quarterback. This is a passing team. If they run, they run. But this is a passing team. We have to be able to stop the pass here. So anyways, why don't we take a, uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back and take a look at the defense. 
and then, time permitting, we'll go through a couple calls. We'll be right back. So this kind of reminds me of last week. Last week when I looked at the defense, it was really primarily two really good edge rushers and not a ton else. This is kind of similar. They've got Khalil Mack and they've got Joey Bosa. And Khalil Mack is still playing at a very, very high level. Looked like he was dropping off 2021-2022, uh, not the greatest ever. But he is back on track, currently listed as the ninth best edge rusher in football. 86 run defense grade, which is third. And 77 pass rush grade, which is 23rd. Joey Bosa is listed with an 80.6 pass rush grade, which is 15th. Run defense is a 70, which is 26. So they're both good in both categories. Aside from that, guys that you need to kind of watch out for, um, 2021 second round pick Asante Samuel is a pretty solid corner. He is listed as the 24th overall corner with a 71.5 grade. 73.1 73.1 coverage grade, 22nd. And then at safety, and this is kind of fluky, but uh, Alohi or Alohi Gilman, he is currently ranked 11th with a 77 PFF grade, but um, he's kind of come in as a replacement. 2020 uh, sixth round pick has never really been good as a safety, but um, he has been relatively consistent. Now, last week against Detroit, he had a 39.9 grade. Week one against Miami, it was a 52, but In between, it's been 70, 80, 70, 90. Aside from that, though, which one of which may be kind of fluky, um, the two edge rushers, the corner, and maybe a safety, it's not super great. They do have Derwin James, uh, generally a very good football player, but um, dealing with some injury stuff and is really, really struggling. In fact, he's gone backwards every year since his rookie year. He's another guy that I think was really highly praised in the draft, got off to a really hot start, and then everyone just kind of forgot about him. And then when they hear his name, they're just like, oh yeah, he's elite. He had almost a 90 grade as a rookie and was the fifth overall safety in football. 2019, he had an 82 grade, but he didn't play the full season, missed a lot of time. 2021, he was the 10th best safety with a 78 grade, dropped to 12th in 2022 with a 77 grade. So far this year, he's 52nd with a 62 PFF grade. He still has an 81 run defense grade, which is what he's very much known for, but a 59.7 coverage grade. Um, The corners are backups largely that are coming in and filling in for injured players and are not very good. Um, On the interior of the defensive line, the grades I'll just give you 41, 63, and 59. And then the linebackers 55 and 66, with 66 being our old friend Eric Kendricks. So it's not a defense that's devoid of talent, but it's certainly a defense that is, aside from the edge rushers, mediocre at best. And again, we've seen that. I mean, the the defense ranks poorly kind of across the board. So it's not enough to just have a couple good edge rushers. They, They are unable to do anything on the interior, which can make it hard on edge rushers who can get around the corner, but the quarterback can step up in the pocket. Um, if your corners and your linebackers and your safeties aren't very good, you can generally get the ball out relatively quickly. So the Tackles are going to need to be on their game. Aside from that, though, there should be some opportunities. Anyways, thanks to um, just complete disastrous things, um, which I probably explained to you last night, been an issue getting some of these uh, calls posted, or at least the one episode that just got evaporated into the stars. And so apologies to everybody that uh, called in, and I already answered your question, and we had a great conversation, and then we move on. because. 
you'll never be heard from again. But anyways, uh, we are going to pick up where we left off, run through a couple calls so we can try to get as many done as possible. After this, if I didn't get to you, I apologize. Um, it is what it is, man. Let's do this. Hey, dude. It's Bramble. Uh, after Dark's been pretty unlistenable, so I don't do it anymore. Tried today, and you're defending Christian Watson. Dude is soft as baby He's <laughs> making fun of him for being injured. That's messed up. I don't know what else to say about him. Dude's a um, once again, two down linemen in the red zone inside the five-yard line. <clears throat> Lefer put out some stupid bullshit answer on his press conference about them being defensive linemen. Well, let's add another big body and have five people. Well, as far as Watson, I haven't defended him for uh, being injured um, because I didn't feel like I really needed to. Um, what I have defended is not blaming him for stuff that uh, that's other people's fault. That's all I've really defended. Stuff that's his mistake, I've certainly said is his mistake, like his drops, but bad throws are not drops, and so I don't blame him for that. Blame the guy that threw it. But yeah, as far as the two-down lineman thing, right, that, that was kind of the whole point of the question, which was you got two guys on the interior instead of three, which is what your base is in situations where it feels like you should have a stronger front and not a weaker front, I think would have been a more um, specific question, which was intuitive to most people, but Matt LaFleur took it a different direction. But anyways, here's uh, Bramble number two. Let's see what else I did to piss him off. Yo, it's Brandon. Why are you gaslighting Jersey Mike? Yeah, we said Aaron Jones needed a more substantial role. Yes. But in the game, A.J. Dillon was being effective. Why can't they go with the hot hand? And why do you have to say that we want it both ways? Well, here, here, let's make it very simple. Everybody was screaming for a long time how stupid the Green Bay Packers were for not playing a guy that was injured and was saying that it's it's what needs to happen is we need more Aaron Jones because he is the key role to the offense. How about before we pivot, we just say, all right, I guess I was wrong. Because they're two different things. It's one thing to say, roll with the hot hand, which some people have said. That's very different than saying Aaron Jones is the key to the offense, and then realizing you're wrong, not acknowledging it, and then just moving on. And I'm not necessarily even talking about Jersey Mike, because he called in and said, I was never in on the Aaron Jones thing. But the fan base as a whole, and seemingly you, since you are raising your hand saying you were one of them, like to scream that they have the answer. And then when it turns out that answer doesn't fix anything, don't acknowledge that all the screaming and fighting and swearing and and just throwing a temper tantrum about something was unjustified. And again, rather than acknowledge it and say, you know what, actually, I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. My bad. Maybe I won't do that again next time. We just pretend it didn't happen. Pretend I didn't say anything. Not acknowledge that you were wrong about anything. Move on to the new thing, the new hero, the new guy that's going to fix everything, just so that we can continue to kick and scream and pretend like there are really easy answers to fixing this. And I have all the answers. 
and the guys who are losing these games are idiots for not doing what I say, even though everything I've set up to this point has been proven wrong, but now I've got new stuff that I'm going to say. Rolling with the hot hand is real easy when you don't spend an entire week game planning. Aaron Jones had four more carries than A.J. Dillon. Big freaking deal. And Dillon only, he had less than four yards per carry if you get rid of his 40-yard run, which is the like the only time in his career he's ever done that. So now, if we roll with the hot hand, which is A.J. Dillon apparently, then he gets all the carries and he sucks and Aaron Jones has 5.5 yards per carry. How long is it going to take for somebody to jump on here and call in and say Matt LaFleur's an idiot for once again leaning on Dillon instead of Aaron Jones? I mean, I, I, I don't know what the process is. Dillon gets a 40-yard run based on good blocking, so Jones has to sit on the bench now. I think we oversimplify everything. Everything's real easy. Real easy. Just fire everybody. Just bench that guy. Play this guy. Oh, Sean Ryan had a good day, even though he didn't really have that good of a day. But somebody told me he had a good day. So now we have to bench the guy that's been playing for years and put in Sean Ryan. Oh, he had a bad day. Never mind. Bench him. Put in the other guy. I mean, if, if fans had control of this team... First of all, we wouldn't even have a coaching staff. Everybody would have been fired. Matt LaFleur would have been fired. Joe Barry would be fired. All the, the, the position coaches have been fired. Half the guys would have been fired because we're attempting to demote them and then come to find out that that doesn't actually happen. We wouldn't have a GM. Sean Clifford would be playing quarterback. The offensive line would have been shuffled about 17 times. Our, our best offensive line would have moved from tackle to center. Our center would have been gone. Aaron Jones would have gotten 45 carries and would have probably been injured after one week. Wicks would have been wide receiver one. Christian Watson to be benched. I mean, it, it's just some of this stuff is so ridiculous. And again, I'm not saying that you or Jersey Mike or anybody else is saying all this, but you got to understand where I'm, I don't know what everybody's saying. I'm just hearing all this stuff come in all the time and I'm just rolling my eyes so far back into my head. I'm not sure they're going to come back forward. And now when I just make a comment and it's like, you know, this is the problem. I've been hearing over and over and over and over and over something needs to happen. And now suddenly the hero, the greatest person that's ever existed, is suddenly the enemy because he had one bad week and A.J. Dillon, who everybody wanted cut up until this week for being a bum, a bust, a loser, he's now the hot hand who should be getting all the carries. So what do we do next week? Is it A.J. Dillon? Is it Aaron Jones? Do we just have him do rock, paper, scissors until one of them rips off a 30-yard run and then that guy gets the rest of the carries? These aren't serious propositions. It's not a very good football team. And there's a lot of people making a lot of mistakes, and you can't bench everybody that's making mistakes because there'd be nobody left. We wouldn't have any running back. There'd be no Dylan to turn to because he would have been cut. These aren't solutions. This is just anger. Don't gaslight. He never said that Jordan Love was a great quarterback. I never said anybody said Jordan Love was a great quarterback. I just said he's not playing well, and he's throwing the ball wrong. When, when did I ever say that Jersey Mike said that Jordan Love was a great quarterback. Don't be hyperbolic. I didn't it's say that. clear you're a Jordan Love hater now at this point. Like, clearly. <laughs> I haven't listened. Bro, it's... I'm calling bad... Listen, this is the thing. You're not saying anything. What, what have I said that's wrong? You're a hater. Uh, you said uh, Christian Watson is a... I mean, two things I had to bleep out. So he's soft. He's, he's a kind of a sissy. Um, I'm a gaslighter and a hater, um, hyperbot. Like what, what did I say? That's incorrect. I didn't say Jersey Mike said that he was a great quarterback. I don't know why saying bad passes or bad passes makes me a hater. And again, give me something, give me anything. This is just name calling. What, what, how, how am I supposed to interact with that? Just sit here and go, nuh-uh, cause that's all I got. A couple weeks, but clearly you're a Jordan Love hater. So, anyhow, try listening to what the people are saying 
it seems you just play the calm and just carry on with what you want to say. Jersey Mike wasn't saying any of that stuff. Any of what stuff? So you got to. I I don't know what you're talking about. You just listened to something. Somebody said something very specific, and I said something very specific, and I don't know what that is. I'm 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 very obviously disagreeing with what he's saying. Jersey Mike is saying these are not bad passes. Christian Watson needs to do a better job of catching it, and I'm looking at it saying that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing bad passes. I think it's very clear what he's saying, what I'm saying, and what the disagreement is. I don't think I'm making anything up. I don't think he's making anything up. It's a very clear, distinct disagreement. I don't know what in the world you're talking about. But again, if you have any very specific things that you'd like to address, feel free. But I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a hater. Christian Watson's a sissy. I'm gaslighting Jersey Mike because I'm saying that he's saying that the quarterback is great, which I don't think I ever said. I mean, this is, this is a waste of everybody's time. Hey, Ryan, this is uh, Nico listening to the second After Dark that Sunday. And I, I think this, I guess this needs to be said. Didn't think it needed to be said, but uh, we're going to start with a couple things. Uh, one, every receiver is going to drop a pass every now and again. You know, sometimes it bunches and then they won't for a few games. It's called you know what happened well and i think it gets magnified now because it's such a problem like there have been more incomplete passes i'll say than than usual and there have been more drops than usual but on top of that there's been a lot of you know bad passes that are contested that don't get caught so that puts things under the magnifying glass so now if somebody has a drop you know one guy has one drop it's not the end of the world in any other game but in this one it's like see see jordan love gets no help it's like okay well that's kind of a normal thing that happens. Uh, every quarterback is going to throw an incomplete pass or a bad one every once in a while. Um, it's just it's, it's why uh, you watch the game. Same thing. You know, people miss wide open receivers all the time. I don't care if you're Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, or Aaron, you know, Jones, anyone can miss a pass. Uh, and not, not not every scheme works. Yet sometimes they do. You know, I think we need to uh, put our expectations in this area that we call reality. Sure, we want to win every game, and yeah, we could have won this game, but we didn't. Um, you know, uh, they kind of go. They didn't really re-show that one pass Love did, but he was like, I think he got hit, was tripping on his feet, and he's falling over, and he just strong-armed that wobbly, gross-looking duck. They was to read, hit him, and stride perfect. That was an amazing catch. Let's talk about that, right? The one he threw to watch it in the corner, uh, yeah, no, it, it was a little short. I think it had been, you know, three feet and more towards the end. corner. It probably would have been a touchdown. So, yeah, it happened. Was it, you know, if he had caught the catch, no one would be complaining about hero ball. Do we complain about the the TD to dob the corner, which is fine. Did we complain about the TD to uh, what's his face? You know, he was double covered, but it was just past them. No, those were great passes. Don't call a hero ball because they call him. So if Chris Watson catch that ball, no one's complaining. Um, it really wasn't a good pass. I think even the, he was asked, was it a short pass? And he said, I got to look at it. But yeah, we just need to remember that's why you play the game. Put your expectations in reality. 
And you, if you, you can't get that pissed off that some things didn't go right. Cause they're going to not go right on every team at random times, which is why we play the game. So anyways, I think some people needed to hear that. Um, sure they're angry right now, but it's, it's called football, you know? Uh, let's, let's, uh, remember what we're watching, folks. And let's enjoy the game a little. So I'm going to go. Peace. Yeah, I mean, the, the big negative is that we're losing, right? If, if, kind of broadening out your point. If we were winning, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? I, I mean, some people would still want to point out or get into a fight about was it a good or a bad pass or a bad catch or whatever. But if you win, you, you kind of overlook that stuff. But when you're losing consistently and you are pushing toward one of the worst teams in football, you, you kind of have to look at what the problem is and what needs to get better. So, yes, everybody drops passes, but this team is really bad at it. I mean, even leaving aside the ones that are worth arguing about and just point out the obvious ones, the drop rate is way too high. Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, Romeo Dobbs, and Tavian Wicks, Musgrave, you look at all their drops, it's way too high. In fact, let me see if I can find it. So Jordan Love so far this year has the seventh most drops um, at 16 drops this year. So it's not number one. But, um, and then, you know, you could look at per attempt, which I'm not going to do right now. I don't have it as a percentage. Um, but he is less than everybody that's, oh, that's not true. Um, whatever. He, he's he's top 10 in drops. It's too high. However, that also applies to the passes, right? Yes, everybody misses, but it's just been a consistent issue and it's something that I'd like cleaned up. But you're right. I mean, th- there does need to be, even for me, a a look at not... Not every time it's a bad pass is this guy's a bum. It's a question of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. Because everybody in just about every game has off passes. So we all have to recalibrate. If there's a drop in a game, we can't throw a fit. If there's two or three off passes, you can't throw a fit. That's just how it goes. And the offense is looking better, and Jordan Love is looking better. I mean, he's moving up the ranks as far as, you know, catchable and on-target passes. Slowly, but he's, <laughs> he's moving. Currently uh, 26th out of 35 quarterback for on-target passes. Hey, Ryan. Steve up in Alaska. Hey. Uh, I'll collect some firewood. This is podcast. Uh, haven't been call, didn't call in during the game because it was pretty obvious it was going the way that I wanted it to go. Um, if anybody remembers, I'm, I'm pro this year. It's really, really going badly. So we can get ourselves a good draft pick. We can get some really good players. Fair enough. Because um, I do believe that. Getting fixed in the first five picks is a big difference between that and picking number 15 or 20. Sure. But anyway, I'm calling because I uh, got well, done listening to Jersey Mike. And, you know, Jersey, I, I love listening to you because you got a lot of passion for the team and for the game. You know, you got that whole, you got that Jersey style, that, that brass Jersey style. It's great yeah, to man. listen to. But this one, man, you're wrong. Um, you're, 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 you're sounding like, you know, Patriots fans who defend Mac Jones or Bears. All right, let's not let's not get over the line calling a guy a Patriots fan. Okay, that's that's pushing it. <laughs> there there are rules here on this podcast. Okay, you you can call you can call a, a football player a sissy, and you can call me names, but you better not be calling people Patriots fans. Fans who defend Justin Fields or any of the other ones out there who are mediocre quarterbacks who are getting defended by, by their fan base because got to be somebody else who can't be the quarterback's fault. Guess what? It's the quarterback's fault. The, the passes that he's thrown out there, 
the, the miraculous passes, the great passes that our receivers were having in, in that game against the, the Steelers, those were all underthrown. They, you know, they, they, they just were. Nobody was running down a pass trying to get to it. Everybody was trying to like backpedal and come back after this thing. And, and when you look at it from, from what it looked like to me, the passes just die at the end. Cause you see other quarterbacks underthrow balls and receivers have a chance to put on the brakes and kind of turn and step back into it so that defenders hit them when they get pass interferences. Um, our guys, it, and the only one it's just that they're, they're that young and they don't know, but I mean, they've been playing football for, you know, five, six, seven years, depending on, you know, just through college and, you know, we're not even getting into high school. You should understand when the ball is going to come in short, how to stop and come back and get that pass interference. That, that should be a thing that you should get. These guys, man, they're going and all of a sudden it's just like the ball just stops going and it just drops out on them. And they're surprised that it's falling, that, you know, that whole falling away thing is almost like it's a surprise that it hasn't gotten as far as they thought it was going to go. So I don't know. It's, you know, maybe that's just an observation I had. Maybe I'm seeing things funny, but yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta back off the, the players, the other, the, the skill position players and really honestly look at what Jordan Love's doing. And, um, he's, he's got a lot of room for improvement because it's, it's too erratic. It's just too erratic. I'm, I'm with, uh, I'm with Ryan on that. So, all right, guys, I, I gotta go. I got three more truckloads of firewood. One, well, one to unload and three more to go pick up or two more to go pick up, something like that. Either way, go pack, go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're really going to get closure on this. I mean, there's there's just kind of a oh, that's funny. Sorry. Uh, the uh, th- there's just there's just two camps on it. I mean, the bottom line is if the ball is because we all agree the ball isn't where it was supposed to be, and we all agree that there is potential at least for some of these to be caught. Sometimes there's disagreement on whether it's possible. The two camps basically are though if. The ball is not thrown where it's supposed to be and it's not caught, that's on the quarterback. Or if the ball is not where it's supposed to be, but you have the opportunity to catch it, you should have caught it and it's not on the quarterback. I don't think anything is really going to happen that's going to change that. So I think we could just hope that it stops happening. Either throw the ball so inaccurately that it's uncatchable entirely, or throw it perfectly so that it's either caught or just straight up drop. It's so much better when the ball is just ripped over their head or when it hits them in the hands uncontested and they drop it, because then you can just look at it and be like, okay, that was on the quarterback, that was on the wide receiver. Although I have seen the receivers get blamed for the quarterback throwing it super far over their head because they either didn't run fast enough or they ran too fast or whatever the case is. But still, it's it's usually not as bad. So Jordan, if you could just do us that favor and either just zing it way over their heads or try to make it ultra perfect, that'd be great. No in-between, please. Hey, Randy here. I'm just kind of doing uh, some research on some upcoming draft prospects, potentially. All right. Um, I haven't really, because I don't really watch college football or anything. Um, but because I like Jordan Love enough, I don't really want to go after quarterbacks, so I was kind of looking at some of the other prospects. And um, Brock Bowers is eh, not, eh, I don't know. But anyways... Um, I'm looking at these, I, I, they may have said I look at like how to gauge a prospect is instead of looking at the highlights themselves, because everybody has highlights. You've said that before. I know that. Um, but 
it, sorry, a big way to gauge of like what they're like just off highlights is how long videos are of their highlights. And so I'm looking at this Marvis and Harrison clip. When most players' highlights are like three minutes, whatever, for like their entire college career, right? Marvin Harrison's is like nine minutes. That's three times longer than the average player that I see when I'm like looking at their draft prospects that we have drafted. And I'm like, okay, that shows that he has done enough to earn a spot in the top. But looking at his highlights, holy crap. Marvin Harrison is legit. Um, and so if we, as the Packers, can look good like we did this last week, but suck enough to get a pretty decent pick, trade our third-round picks, which they're cursed, by the way, but if we can trade those picks to get up high enough to get Marvin Harrison, I would be over the moon. I couldn't be happier with that possible outcome um, because just going forward, if we have Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Christian Watson, Luke Musgrave, and then you add in Marvin Harrison, oh, my word. I mean, sorry, this is me in week 10, or sorry, or week 11, whatever, getting super excited about a potential draft pick that I have these, like, I don't follow college, college football. I don't care about the draft. Um, sorry, I've had a button tired bottle of wine tonight. So, yeah. But if we think of Marvin Harrison. You're good. Um, that would be another thing that I think we could all kind of agree on. Not that everybody necessarily wants to be drafting high enough to get them. But I don't know that anybody would really complain about that pick. Um, you know, if you're kind of upset with the receivers and what they've been able to do, Marvin Harrison is perfect, especially if you're all in on Jordan Love, because that'll be sort of I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna be hyperbolic and say the fix, but certainly the kind of a guy that you would trust a little bit more to get those maybe more difficult to catch catches. But then even on my side of the spectrum, I mean, again, some of the passes I don't think anybody's catching, but at the end of the day, having a guy like that makes your team better, period. You're going to be seeing a little bit less Dobbs and Wicks, but, you know, I, I, I just think if you can, anytime you have the opportunity to add a superstar, you do it. And I think there's a general consensus that this, this guy is going to be a superstar. And I, I just think the way it's been going with wide receivers, it hasn't always been this way. It used to be for many years. There were a lot of first-round receivers were just complete garbage. But now it just seems like it's almost automatic. I mean, last year's class wasn't the greatest, but especially like the super early guys, especially the super early Ohio State guys. I mean, if there's anybody in this draft that feels like a slam dunk, it feels like Marvin Harrison would be the guy. So I am not opposed Hey, back, Dad. It's Nate. Um, just wanted to call and give some thoughts. I hope this call doesn't get purged. I've had some terrible luck with that lately. You're good. Um, but I wanted to talk about uh, some you know, players and coaches and just some things that are going to start happening with the team here. So I think we all know that a, a team that's not performing well 
um, is not going to look the same the next year. And I, it's pretty obvious what I mean by that. Um, if we don't start playing better, if we don't start flashing, if, uh, if coaching doesn't improve, if everything top to bottom doesn't improve, um, there's going to be a lot of people who don't have jobs next season or are just going to be playing on different teams next season. So first of all, coaching staff, Matt LaFleur, I didn't think his job was in the hot seat before this year. I thought for sure he was going to have another year after this one basically guaranteed. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Um, things are looking pretty rough and it, it starts with him because it's, it's also just like the, the team's mentality comes down on him. And I've seen a very weak team lately. Like they, they just, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to hit. They don't want to play. They don't want to play football. Okay. That's, and, and I've said before, Matt LaFleur is just kind of, he's soft. He's just a soft person. And that's not really what I personally want in a head coach. I want, I want somebody who's going to be a little violent. Somebody who's going to, you know, jump down your throat and, you know, be on you when you mess up. And I just don't think that's him. Joe Barry, uh, I'm not going to be a, be a dead horse. That dude's hasn't, his job's gone. Uh, his job is, is, is gone, in my opinion, and it's been gone for a couple weeks now. He's basically dead man walking. Um, and then you've got Jordan Love. Jordan Love, I was huge on the Jordan Love hype train. Um I really wanted him to come in and play well, and I said for sure, same thing that you were saying. You know, he, he's for sure going to have another season after this one. Like, there's nothing, there's really nothing that he could do short of like, you know, just playing absolutely horrifically and not showing anything. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of where he's at. I haven't seen anything. Like the the only time that I saw a good, like I'm like, oh, it looks like we might might have something was Week One against Chicago. And like, you know, his grades still weren't great in that game. He just, you know, he kind of looked better, but I don't know. I, I'm not seeing it. Um, I'm thinking we, we, we probably wasted the pick and that's okay. You know, we're going to get a lot of shit for it, but, um, you know, cut bait. Don't, don't be the bears. I don't want to be the bears holding on to this guy just year after year saying he's the guy, he's the guy, he's got all the tools, blah, 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 blah. And then we just keep sucking and sucking and sucking and we refuse to admit that it's, it's the quarterback. So I just, just, let's not be the bears, please. Um, and just, you know, every, everything else is just like, you, you know, I think uh, last year's draft class, a lot of guys, three minutes, cut them off. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of torn because you don't want to overreact and get rid of everybody immediately, but you also don't want to, you know, cling and, and hang on, whether we're talking about the quarterback or the coach or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really torn. Um, I'm torn on on both of them because, you know, I mean, the, the the difficult thing for me is let's just assume that I'm right and that the scheme does work. And I'm not saying that he's the greatest whatever. I'm just saying he's he's good enough, that the scheme is good enough to work if you can just execute it. I don't know that's the case. I believe that's the case. And, and so, again, let's just go with that. Are we going to be able to win a Super Bowl? Because, you know, on one hand, I look at it and I say, hey, the scheme works if we can get the right players to execute it. There's still going to be a question of, you know, softness or lack of motivation or whatever. But can we win a, a Super Bowl with what we have? And my, my immediate instinct is yes. You know, the locker room will pick up. When you start winning football games, the motivation will be there, etc. But then when you think about it, it's like, well, that'll get us back to at best, what, 2020? What happened in 2020? We collapsed at the most inopportune time. Now, maybe that's not Matt LaFleur's fault. But if that's the culture aspect, again, just from a hypothetical standpoint, let's say it is Matt LaFleur's fault. 
then it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter how much talent we have or how, how good of a job we do executing because you don't have that final piece. Now, that's not to say that every single time you're going to just randomly implode, but it, it certainly does seem like there might be a limit to or a, an impediment that's going to make it really hard, even if you can get all the, the best elite players and you get the exact right quarterback in, in the receivers and get the defensive coordinator figured out and everything's just going to be wonderful. Remember, it wasn't necessarily defensive collapses that caused all the playoff exits in the Matt LaFleur era. We've seen the defense step up and the offense implodes. Whether that's the offensive line, the quarterback, the wide receivers, the running backs, or some kind of a mix of all of those. So I don't, I don't know what I think about that, to be honest, but it, it, it is worth talking about because that was the big thing after 2020 is it's like, I don't know where to go from here. We had everything. It wasn't the greatest defense in the world, but we had by far the best offense. And in the most critical times, it's just like we just imploded. In 2019, okay, the 49ers are better, but that was brutal. 2020, Aaron Rodgers was great, and he was even great in that playoff game, but it didn't matter. The team collapsed around him. 2021, Rodgers was no good. The offensive line was no good. I know we didn't have Bakhtiari, but that's not an excuse. And so you look at it and just say, are we ever going to be able to get over the hump? I think that's a very real question. I, I don't have an answer because I don't know definitively that, that Matt LaFleur is that problem, but I think it's worth talking about. And as far as Jordan Love, you know, again, I, th- I would assume most of us would agree he's not where we need him to be. If we can't agree on that, then I don't think we agree on Jordan Love. It's just a question of patience. How patient are we going to be with Jordan Love? Because again, remember, the standard isn't how can we be pretty good. Like, let's just say Jordan Love is fine as he is. Okay, well, we know the offensive line is doing a good enough job, at least with the pass blocking. So if the receivers caught all the passes you wanted them to catch, are we a great football team? Because I'm assuming that's what we all want. We want greatness. I don't think so. Give, give, give us the defense, which again, I don't know that the defense has really been the problem when you look at the points. It's been the offense being unable to score points. So again, I would assume we'd all agree that when we set our sights on what we want the Packers to be, we envision the most important position in football quarterback being better than it is. I'm guessing we all agree on that. So again, it, it really is with, with you know, Matt LaFleur, it's not necessarily about patience. It's about making a decision based on the information we have, because we've seen it. With Joe Barry, we've seen it. With Jordan, you know, it's, it's that weird thing where it's like, it's just his first year, but it's also his fourth year. So what, how do you handle that? But I think you look at it, from my standpoint, you look at it and say, okay, he's continued to take steps. Obviously, we want to give him till the end of the year. Let's just see how it goes. I don't know because I, I, I don't see a, a situation where Matt LaFleur doesn't come back next year. But I do think that you put him on notice, which is difficult because it's like the question isn't really this side of it. It's almost like you'd want to see him with a really good football team to say, can you be the guy to get us from a great football team to a great championship football team? Or are we just going to be a good regular season team forever? You know, I mean, if he comes back next year and it's like the players just are no good, it's like, well, I didn't learn anything about Matt LaFleur. Not really, anyways, at least as far as the stuff that I really would like to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, things, things change. I, I don't see really a path right now for Jordan not coming back again, unless we have a number one, number two pick, which I don't think we'll have. But the comfort level in Jordan is going to, there's a wide range of what that could be. If he continues the way he is, I think it's very iffy, and it feels kind of like we're in the worst case scenario where he's not so bad that you get rid of him, but he's not good enough to win anything with. If he continues to get better, then there's cause for excitement. And if he regresses back to what it was, and this was kind of a fluky thing, 
then it's like, all right, we got to have that conversation. But we'll take it a week at a time. Let's get to a uh, second part of Nate's call here. I got cut off. Had a lot to say. Um, but the, the guys from two years ago, the draft class, they're, you know, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm really not seeing that many good things. A lot of the draft picks that I was really excited for, I'm just like, they're disappointing. You know, they're just very disappointing. Like, they, they flashed and showed in their first year where we're like, man, these guys are going to be something like, um, or even like Christian Watson. Like, I, I thought this dude was going to be like huge. I thought he was going to have a huge breakout year. And he's just, he's just not. And I get a lot of people keep saying, you know, the, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta let him develop. Look what happened to Tay. Tay had a lot of drop issues. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't always pan out, <laughs> you know, and then, Sometimes you hang on to players for way longer than you need to. Um, so those are my two thoughts. And then I just had a uh, very, very random question. In your prize picks commercial that you did, why does your voice sound like two octaves lower than it normally does? It, <laughs> it, it sounds I, like you almost pitched it downward. And it, it bothers me every time that it comes on. It shouldn't. It's a really stupid little thing, but it does bother me. So I just want to know. Like, what, if that was on purpose or if it was just, like, some audio thing that happened. So. Go back up. I have no idea how that happened. I recorded it, and then I played it back, and it was, like, in slow-mo, but not really. I don't know how that. I have no idea. It was some kind of a weird glitch, and I just, it's just my personality or whatever. I thought it was funny. Because it was stupid, you know, because it's like any anytime you're supposed to take something super serious and you have the opportunity to kind of be stupid about it, I think it's funny. And so I said, I'm just going to submit it. And if they send it back to me and they're like, this is stupid, you need to fix it, then I'll, I'll fix it. But if they let it go through, I'm going to just stick with it because I think it's, I just think it's funny. I think it's, it's, it's stupid and I find that funny. So I'm glad that somebody finally called that out. Um... I mean, again, I've, I've already addressed the Christian Watson thing. I, I I will at least agree that I was hoping that Watson would be an elite player. But again, my whole thing is, I think if the passes were better, he'd be having a much better season. I think he is open. The ball's not getting to him. I mean, Christian, I, I said this last year when, when, you know, Christian Watson was nowhere to be seen anywhere. He was never getting the ball. And I, I said, I went back and watched the tape and it's like, this guy's open all the time. Rodgers is just not throwing it to him. And, and love is occasionally the passes are so bad. So I know we don't all agree on that, whatever. But even in addition, I mean, Quay Walker's been injured. I like Quay. You see an elite player? Not necessarily. I like Quay. I like Wyatt a lot. I think last week was a little bit bad, but overall, like with his pressures, he's been doing a fantastic job. Uh, Sean Ryan's a third round pick, but maybe there's something there. Romeo Dobbs is a fourth round pick. I think is fantastic. Zach Tom is a fourth round pick is unbelievable. Um, Kingsley, you know, I, I, I understand like we set super high expectations and everybody's missing those expectations, right? Kingsley's going to be this elite guy. I tried to tell everybody to calm down. He's a fifth round pick. I think for a fifth round pick, he's doing fine. I think Zach Tom for a fourth round pick is like world class. Same with Romeo Dobbs. Um, Rashid Walker is a seventh round pick playing left tackle. That is unfreaking believe. I mean, to be honest, this draft class is unbelievable, and it's mostly the mid to late round picks. A seventh round pick that can play left tackle is freaking ridiculous. Kingsley is a starting edge rusher. He's he's you know 
subpar maybe, but for a second year, fifth round pick, I think he's fully adequate. The two fourth round picks are grand slams. Um, Watson, I still think, I, I, I don't think, I know what he can be. We all know what he can be. And I haven't gone back and looked close enough to see exactly how many opportunities there have been. But just again, take all the inaccurate passes, make them, ina- make them accurate passes. Immediately, we're not having this conversation about Christian Watson. And you could say he should have caught it or whatever, but fine. He can't catch it. Okay, he can't catch a pass that's a, that has a 20% probability of being caught. So he needs a quarterback that can throw to him accurately. Oh, gee, I guess we should freaking drag him out in the middle of the street and beat him to death. What a horrible attribute. <laughs> um, and again, the both, both first-round picks, I think, at least have a lot of potential and, and are not bad football players. I mean, the only picks that are potentially even bad are Sean Ryan, which maybe is not even bad. Um, and then seventh round picks, Tariq Carpenter, um, Jonathan Ford, and Samore Ture, which they're seventh round picks, so I don't really care. So I don't I don't dislike 2022 at all, aside from, again, if you compare where they're at to the hype that they got, yeah, it's way lower, right? Quay's going to be the number one linebacker in football. Devontae Wyatt is the most elite defensive tackle in the NFL. Christian Watson is going to be the next Justin Jefferson. You know, Romeo Dobbs is like Devontae. Zach Thomas basically met expectations. Kingsley Nigbare is like an elite pass rusher. Like, yeah, guys have missed those expectations. Tariq Carpenter is an elite special teamer. Samori Ture, right? I, how many times did I have to tell people on this podcast, chill with Samori Ture? No, no, he's he's the number three. He did it, did it, did it. Nope, nope, nope. Relax with the Samori Ture stuff. So, I don't know. I I really don't dislike that. And I, I think a lot of people are mostly focused on Christian Watson and are really upset. Um, I'm not upset. And it's not to say he's he's doing a good... I'm not trying to argue that he's doing a good job. I'm just saying we haven't been able to see the... Oppor- we haven't had an opportunity to see what he can do. I got an email saying Judas Priest sent me a gift. They got an all-purple vinyl. That's freaking dope. I really want to order this, but I don't have a record player. Hmm. Apparently they have a new album out, Invincible Shield. I'll have to check that out. Anyways, anyways, appreciate all your calls. Hope you enjoy your game day, and I will talk to you tomorrow for hopefully Victory Monday. Bye bye.